You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. And welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd podcast. Nerds. Yeah. As always, I'm joined by Cap and Alex from the Something Good For You Network. Yo, yo. That was my bad Gene Simmons. Uh, yeah, there, so bear with me. <laughs> I would never have caught that. I wouldn't have either. In a million and twelve years. <laughs> but if you say so, good on you, man. <laughs> You you do you, brother. <laughs> I hate that saying. Now. You know, I really hate you that saying. You do you. You do. You know what? Yeah, of course, I'm going to fucking do me. That's I'm. I yes. am me. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I am me. You do you. What am I going to do? Come on. Come on. Come on. Who else am I going to do? Come on, Russ. You're a powerful and attractive I mean, that, man. I'm, a, no, no. <laughs> I'm Gene Simmons. A kiss. kiss. <laughs> All right, so we're uh, tracking the uh, history of Kiss, album by album, year by year, and of course, it's really not year by year anymore, as we've talked about in the previous episodes. We're kind of they're running in a false every fall they release a new album, and they're kind of running in this cycle, mm-hmm. and um, they're coming out of the Animalized cycle, and now we're going into the Asylum era, which is. Quite the colorful era. Mm-hmm. You ain't lying. Yes. And uh, originally the uh, original conceived title for Dynasty. And did you not know about that? I didn't did either. We, did, we, did we touch on that on the other I'm not sure. Is that why they did a photo shoot with, mm-hmm. the, with the straight jackets? Straight jackets. Yeah. They were, the original concept title was going to be called Asylum. It's just interesting because the layout of the photo on Asylum is similar to Dynasty 2. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that because that's that's a... That was all. That stuck in my craw when it came out, mm-hmm. especially uh, the certain color tones yeah, they yeah. use. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's interesting here is, um, as a, as an aside, an aside to asylum. Um, I never knew this. I came across some information that claims that uh, Gene Simmons and Howard Marks formed something called Monster Management, and they had a sit down, a meeting, trying to recruit. Van Halen. And I guess this would have been as Van Halen were leaving, you know, were splitting up with David Lee Roth mm-hmm. and um, Noel Monk, their manager, and moving on to Sammy what would Hagar. prove to be greener pastures. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that the Sammy Hagar era sold like three to one to the Dave era. A lot of yeah. people don't even realize that. Mm-hmm. The Sammy Hagar era was so much more successful than the David Lee Roth era. But what does everyone remember? Exactly. What does everyone want to hear now? You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of the same. And it, well, it's not the same with Kiss. Actually, it's not the same at all. <laughs> but everything that everyone wants to hear from Kiss was their seventies thing too. Yeah. And the only reason why Kiss exists right now is because we've, as we've documented in the previous episodes, they went after their re- recording label. They won, but they didn't win, and their record label bit back on them really hard. Now mm-hmm. they're just 
on the hook and things are going to get financially speaking worse and worse. But, um, I just think it's interesting. It's like, you know, Gene's still out there mogling. Yeah. I was trying to do everything he can. Well, it's like, I think, you know, and I, I hate to use this expression, har, har, har. He's looking for a back door yeah. out. Yeah. Right? <laughs> As opposed to a back door in. He's or looking a, for, you know. Well, it's because we kind of talked about during, you know, the uh, during Animalize, rather, that Gene was starting to become kind of distant and putting his fingers in other pots, no pun intended. But it's like, now, this is like fully disconnected Gene. This yeah. is the Gene that's just like not even showing up to the studio. Yeah. Is this back doors or is this a safety net? Either either way, self preservation. Yeah, self preservation, Um, and it makes sense. Um, Although the the animalize, as we talked about in the animalize episode, that's really the album that saved them. Yeah, because it was even a semi successful tour. Like they they weren't selling out crazy, but it was pretty successful. There's a handful of sellouts. Mm -hmm. They're they're. I mean, they they had a sizable uptick in attendance figures, and the album did pretty well went platinum so now uh they're you know they're in rebuild mode Mm -hmm. and they are the only i guess if there is a setback they're on their third guitarist in his in his many albums yeah right so you know there is that kind of like who cares now you know and why would anyone care about maybe specifically who the guitarist is yeah i mean this has become Essentially, like I said in, in previous episode, Kiss is a duo. Mm-hmm. Whether anyone wants to acknowledge that or not, even their diehard fans to this day, no, they're not. <laughs> yes, they are. Kiss are le- leg- legitimately and literally a duo because mm-hmm. that's the only two members that the record company recognizes. Kiss yep. is recognized as Gene and Paul, not Gene, Paul, Eric, and whoever else. Right. Those guys are employees. They were. They, they were hired Kiss. guns. They could be. They could be anybody. And I'm not like denigrating what their talents are as musicians or their personas as individuals or as personality, you know, as individual. I'm just stating this as a matter of fact. Kiss yeah. is a duo. Um, you know, I mean, and Bruce, let's be fair here. Um, great guitar player. Yeah. But he never really establishes himself as one of the leading guitar gods of the 1980s no but i would argue that he was the most well-rounded guitar player that kiss ever had and i know that's saying a lot you know ace freely has you know it's his own vibe and events it was his own vibe and mark st john did what he did on you know one record i would yeah. argue that bruce you know is acoustically electrically was probably the most well-rounded player that the band ever had well yeah i mean i feel like there's a big difference between talent and style mm-hmm. uh ace had a lot of style where bruce kind of lacked style yeah bruce was technically more talented than ace and i know that feels so bad to say but again there's a difference between style and talent well, there, ace had a style about him see, that no one could replicate i understand what you're saying but i would say it differently i think there's a difference between skill and talent okay Whereas Bruce Kulick was a skilled guitar player, yeah. Ace was a talented guitar player. Okay. Bruce came. Does and that make a, sense? Yeah. Okay. Bruce came and did a job. Yeah. But, but no, I can say that on 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 tons of guitar players, guitar players I personally know, they're guys that have learned the skill, almost like playing a video game or something. It's like they have the skill that it takes an innate talent in and of itself. Yeah. But then there's guys that seem like they just pick up a guitar and they figure it out effortlessly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. 
And Ace never really probably applied himself to develop any real skill, quote unquote. But his no, talent I mean, was raw enough that it carried him through. And then now, you know, you can say that's a, a, a subjective kind of uh, argument as to what is better or what you like more. You know, obviously, yeah. I'm I'm more partial to a talented style. We talked about this in the previous episode. A lot of great guitar players in rock and roll. Not a lot of great rock and roll guitar players. Mm-hmm. And I, I will throw Eddie Van Halen under that bus. <laughs> I was I came across a YouTube video the other night, and it was like Eddie Van Halen warming up the crowd. And it's like him under the stage before they go out to the stage. And he's not even looking at the guitar, and he's doing all that shit. Like, it's like, you know, and yeah, it's effortless, and yeah, it's impressive. But you know what else? It's like, you know, it's like it becomes... I, I remember a guy telling me in, when I was young that the guitar to him was passe and i didn't understand hmm. what he meant by that but years later i started looking at these guys the joe satriani's the eddie van halen's mm-hmm. the steve eyes and i got to where like the tenet, the technique and the in the skill level had overcome the talent point where you don't even care anymore it's like it, it it feeds to a very niche audience that really enjoy that sort of stuff right yeah but you know and i think we talked about this in the previous episode you know you can't sing along with these songs no. you could sing along with an a solo i could i could name a song any kiss song from the 70s right mm-hmm. name one and just a random one and i can sing the solo yep. mr speed you know do it <laughs> wait, 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 you know what I'm thinking? I'm getting, I'm getting. I, I already I'm getting have lover, it. Lover, love him, leave her, lover. Start starts with the. Mm, 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 yeah, mm, yeah, mm, yeah. Mm, you know mm, what I'm talking mm, about. Mm, there you go, Barry. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, that's part of the reason why I didn't want to go there. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll be the dancing monkey. <laughs> so so you understand what I mean? Oh, by totally. That. Yeah. That's now, now seeing the solo from I've had enough into the fire. <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's like, okay, whatever, you know? Um, no, and I totally get that. Not to get too far off into a side tangent or anything like that, but I had a DVD that had Joe Satriani, Steve I, and Ingve Malmsteen on it. And uh, the Joe Satriani one starts off cool because it's more bluesy. Then you get to Steve I's set that's all over the place with triple neck guitars. And then by the time you get to Ingve Malmsteen's set, you're just done with yeah. the electric guitar. Now, something that I just now ran across and I wish I had thought it's like I thought about it earlier this week to do a little research on it and I didn't fingers crossed you may have done a little info on this right before they even even go into Asylum something they kind of did in between Animalize and Asylum is they reissued Crazy Nights oh, yeah. with Bruce on the cover and remixed uh, two or three of the songs now see I, I had only I was I just recently became aware they even remix songs. I wouldn't. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I just I've never listened to that version of that album. I've never had a copy of it. Never cared. I was like, I've got it. What do yeah. I need that for? So I didn't like what, the idea that they put Bruce, Bruce on the cover. On it, yeah. I just thought, you know. I, I, I mean, who would they have put on the cover though? Well, I mean, they put Ace on the cover. <laughs> so why why not put it? Bruce? Why you know? I don't. There's and it's like. They reissued that trying to get, I guess, something out of it. 
and I wonder if the if that was a record company decision or I doubt it was. A I know, Kiss and, decision. And, I, and I wish I had thought to yeah. look at. I was pulling up. The, I usually use a Kiss, Kiss FAQ uh, for the album information of like who plays on what tracks. Well, I'm sure and like that right was... next to it, they had the th- label for the reissue of Creatures. I was like, shit. And I'm reading this like there's not a lot of info on why they did it. So I wish I had thought well, I to look why. it up. I more. mean, without if I if just just judging on what we've talked about. They aren't recouping the money on their advances. They have to make some money back. And obviously, the record company is like, let's get some money out of this shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, it didn't sell. But maybe now that the group is enjoying a little bit of uh, a resurgence with Analyze, maybe this will trickle down to some other. And it is a heavier we, record. And they're trying you know, to conceitedly write more heavier stuff sounding things. Yeah, I don't I don't I, you know, who knows? But um, but this puts them, I guess, you know, stupidly, I didn't write down dates. I had it, and I, you know, I, 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 when I make my notes, I sometimes they come in, yeah, they only kind of out of order, and then I have to realign them. They're in the studio, they're at Electric Lady, which is a step up from Right Track, where they had been. I know, I thought that was kind of interesting as they went back to Electric Lady. Well, I mean, it, it, it wasn't a step down, it was a step up. I'm thinking. You know, going the to these, these yeah, going to a place like Right Track was probably a budget constraint. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I don't know anything about that studio. I don't know, you know, good, bad, and different. It may be a great studio, but, you know, it's not a prestige name studio like Record Plant or Electric no. Lady. Um, but yeah, from a June to July of 85. Okay, they were so summer of 85, they're in the studio. Uh, this will get a Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley co production credit, but it's, I think largely just Paul working mm-hmm. alone. Now I do find something really interesting before we really even go to a track by track section is uh, in both Gene and Paul's book, they say that this is the time in which Gene was the most absent working with different bands, trying to be a movie star, this, that, and the other. But from all I can tell, there's only two tracks Gene didn't play bass on. Yeah. But yet the album previously and even some of the earlier stuff, There's he was more than yeah, exactly. And and remember the infamous photo of them in the asylum booth recording, and they had like a Gene stand up that they were posing with. Hmm, I've never Have seen you that. not seen that no, photo? No. I'll make sure and uh, I'll make a little note for myself to make sure and post it for the listeners yeah, also, and that. I'll show you after the show. It's like a photo of all. Th- Actually, no, it was Animalized. Sorry, it was them mm-hmm. in the studio for Animalized because Mark St. John was there, and they're all huddled around like trying to take a photo, and you you can clearly see they left a space for Gene, mm-hmm. and then they picked, like this random photo and like photoshopped them in. Oh, <laughs> it's a very bizarre looking photo. But yeah, so it seems as if this is the first record in a minute that has the people that are on the cover actually playing on actually it. playing on it. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I hadn't even considered that. You're absolutely right, though. That is that is I. You know, and I think now that you say that, I think that's why this record has sort of a more of a cohesive feel than the others. I'd agree with that. Um, but um, let's. You want to just go ahead and start hitting this track by track here? Yeah. Yeah, because it didn't. Uh, that's something else. Also. Um, we really don't have a lot of information on the recording process of this. And I've noticed that throughout the years of me kind of diving into kisses around animalize and asylum. There's not a whole lot of like internal studio documents like we can sometimes get with others. Yeah. I think this is because this probably ran pretty smooth. I think this, by this point, you know, they had finally kind of solidified their lineup. They were all kind of, they got their songwriting teams. Their songwriting teams or whatever. It's interesting that they're still not writing together. 
which no. they rarely ever did anyway. But mm-hmm. um, we'll just uh, we'll just go ahead and start jumping through this track by track. Uh, opening track, King of the Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a weak opener. I don't know, man. This is one that gets stuck in my head every time I put really? it on, too. Yeah, interesting. It's like for better or worse, too. There's a lot of Kiss tracks on the next couple of albums that kind of gets that'll get stuck in your head and okay. become earworms. But uh, this takes me back from when I was a kid and listening to classic rock radio and uh, when House of Hair was a thing. I don't know if it's still a thing or not, but uh, <laughs> House of Hair with D. Snyder, and he would play a lot of this era of Kiss. It's like we got a new Kiss track on, and but it would be. You know, stuff like mountain. King of the Mountain, right. specifically, yeah. So I, I kind of echo his slightly. Go My ahead. note is a unnecessary drum intro. Like that, that was just, it, there was like two parts to it. Sounds like, it, it sounds like he's falling over the drums. Like, it, oh, it, it, what, get, it, get behind the drums, Eric. Okay. Sorry. So it's like if they had like kept the very last <laughs> roll in, I think it would have been a little better, but it was just unnecessary drum intro. But I said, not a bad opener. The lyrics are what make the song forgettable. Well, I knew you were going to go into that. It's the king of the mountain. Uh-huh. It's him he's, conquering, I'm conquering the world the again. World. I'm, yep. I'm Paul Stanley and I'm good at that do montage it. music. Like it's we the montage music. Yes. And it's well, that Desmond Child fucking, you know, big chorus, you know, harmony, the, all those layers of vocals on top of it. That uh, I will say, yes. And I agree. And I like that. And I'll, and I'll say personally, if we didn't have so many Paul songs about him conquering the world and being the king of the mountain, I would probably like this one more, but it just feels so repetitive with all his other songs he was writing like yeah, that at I the time. I can see that. I, I, this just feels like filler material to me. It doesn't grab me. It doesn't make me want to hear what's coming next cool little pre-solo break though you know i just i just didn't care for it um i could remember you you gotta remember i I had this when it came out Mm -hmm. the first time i ever heard it was the same day i saw kiss for the first time right and later on i had this on cassette because Mm -hmm. you know cassette was the the, the primary medium we got of the BMX races outside yeah, today. I don't know if that's coming uh-huh. up. You know what? They're they're rounding up to be the king of the mountain. <laughs> um, but I mean, I didn't like the song even when it was when it, when I was a kid and I was into it. But I just you know, and, and I'm not saying this is true of the whole album, but this one song I just don't think is a good opening song. I don't think it's even that really that good of a song. I mean, it's just it's a forgettable. To me, it's forgettable and unnecessary, which is not a good way to be. Whereas in the past, and again, we we can't judge this against their past. We've right. talked about this, but you know, it just seems like any song could have been a potential song that you'd see them play live once upon a time, and now it's like they're consciously going for high spots. Yeah, I, I said this, um, and this isn't a high spot that they're going for here. No, and uh, if if folks ever look in the episode description, you see a little link, a little link tree thing, and uh, we have what's called a Discord, and I'm saying it like this because we never really mentioned discord on this show before but essentially it's like a organized facebook messenger chat mixed with like the old aol chat room days and it's just an app you can download so folks if you're listening and want to join in kiss conversations we have those in there from time to time but in there we also have a segment called what are you listening to and we just put random songs that we like that we're currently listening to and listening to this record kind of did put me in a bit of an aired 80s hair metal phase Mm -hmm. and and like because mom listened to that when i was growing up and i quickly decided that asylum would have been better as a cinderella record yeah 
I started listening to some Cinderella stuff, and there's a lot of DNA, and it was kind of the same time period. I looked at uh, record release dates, and songs like Shake Me, mm-hmm. uh, that could have fit on Asylum. Or any of the Wasp. But Shake Me, I think, is better than anything that was on Asylum. Or like Wasp material. Like It's that thing I brought up last episode where like the guitar tone of that era in hard rock was just you know indistinguishable from... You know, it's just the same, just kind of mid-rangey, kind of you know, Kramer guitar tone that's yeah, just used very, on everything. Generic very saturated. Generic and the reason rock. I pulled Cinderella is everyone always calls it like the hair metal ACDC. Ignore the vocal tone because that's where people pull the ACDC right. thing from. Listen to the guitar riffs mm. and the way they're trying to project the music. It absolutely sounds like what Paul was trying to accomplish on Asylum, at least in my book. Did he not get um, Paul um, uh, considered to produce Cinderella at some point? I feel like I heard about that, but that wasn't anything I ran across. No, he did Guns N' Roses. Yeah, I've always heard the Guns N' Roses one. Anyway, uh, next next track. (laughs) Anyway, you slice it. You know, everybody. Anyway, you slice it. (laughs) One thing I've noticed about the Gene tracks on these uh on this and crazy nights is that gene all the gene tracks are trying to be like the heavy metal chuggy kind of like a you know uh driving songs that clip note thing i know i wrote that on here i'm like i wish they hadn't done that i think that um it anchors it too deeply into something that it when it could have been something else yeah i can hear that that riff working differently to a greater strength Perhaps even to the, you know, I don't know. I, I, I want to say that's the one where also I'm like, if they did the drum beat different, it could have pulled out a whole different, that, that song could have been a pulled into a whole different realm and been a much better song. I don't, I don't, the even, only I think thing, this is a decent riff. I think it's a decent song. Well, that's, yeah, what, that's what I had. I said one of Gene's better contributions over the last few years. If he wrote the song, because you see uh, <laughs> Howard Rice's name mentioned, and then yeah. we talked about how uh, Gene may or may not have written all these songs too. And, and then, I do have the chorus is insufferably goofy. <laughs> any way you slice it. Any way you yeah. slice it. Any yeah. way you slice or that, it. What about that, that that blues ending? You're not your mother's daughter anymore. So it's like those little moments on there. I'm just like, well, you know what's funny is that's the difference between like I guess people like us sitting here at this table that have come up through other channels or have have an awareness of of other styles of music and don't, where their core audience probably don't. And they hear something like that as being badass, where we hear that as being the complete fucking cheeseball nonsense (laughs) that it is. And And you know now that you know something that they don't, and they don't understand why you can't see it the way they see it. And it's like, because it's so goddamn cliche and cheesy and stupid. And the thing is, is I don't hate on cheese. There's a lot of cheesy things. There are. Like. There's good cheese and there's bad cheese. This mm-hmm. is like bad, smelly Limburger cheese. <laughs> you know what? This if year, you're going to give me smelly cheese, at least make it blue cheese. I, I, you know, I, I, I've, I've told this story recently in a, in a, on my Facebook page, but I used to know these kids when I was little that were from up north, and they had no fucks to give to anybody mm-hmm. or anyone. And there, were this, there was this kid that they used to pick on all the time. He had a real thick southern accent. And his mom came down one time because they had sent him home crying or whatever. And she came down and she was like, you know, 
redneck deluxe, you know, the, the beehive haircut with the little swirly <laughs> cue kind of sideburn looking thing. Oh yeah. She was probably 32 and she looks like she was like going on 65, <laughs> you know, with the sig dangling, the oh, Salem, yeah. you know, and she comes down going, why are you always picking on my boy? <laughs> And they got right up into their face and went, because he's so goddamn stupid. Making fun of her, her accent, the whole thing. And I, you know, and I was like eight years old. I was aghast. I'm like, you can't talk to a person's mom like that. Well, yeah, they could. They did it, and they got away with it. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I feel about this when I talk about this music. It's like people go, why are you always picking on my music? Because it's so goddamn stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, a, you know, and like this could have been a pretty good song. And this is just and they our just, opinion. Yeah, yeah, well, no, it's it's not. <laughs> this is not a good song but here's where I'm going to throw everybody sideways who wants to be lonely I think it's a fine song this is a pretty good song this is one of the better songs on the record I was literally I, we were talking about it earlier this week in the um, apartment because we were like I was asking I was like is Asylum an easier listen for you than Animal Eyes was and he was like not really I said well exactly what you said earlier which is why I wasn't going to parrot you I said well to me this actually feels a lot more concise and and I started just and I kind of like half ass started like prancing in the uh, living room kind of doing who wants to be lonely he's like oh god not that one I was like really it's 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 really borderline cheesy here, but it still works for what it's trying to do. I'm surprised this wasn't more successful was. I was surprised that it hit me the way it did yeah. because I had an aha moment that I didn't have with this song previously. And we've talked about this in the earlier episodes. What made so much of Early Kiss so great was they had this hidden uh, weapon, this secret weapon that they could pull out that you never even consciously acknowledge until you think about it. And that's that R&B influence. Yeah. And that's all over this. And And you know what? And it was a slightly different vocal approach on Paul's, uh, for this song than he had done a lot more. It was a little bit more baritone. He wasn't trying to be as squealy, which was a nice change because that's something else that we had kind of mentioned over the last few records is Paul changed his vocal style. Well, this was a little bit more, more like late 70s. Yeah, this goes, it's deeper, but you know, what are you going to say? What I was just going to say, I'm surprised this wasn't a, this isn't a Desmond Child co right? This is a John uh, Bavara. John, John Bavara did a lot of stuff like this too. John I, I feel Bavar it. had been in the plasmatic which is interesting but um i tell you the only reason why i think this doesn't work isn't because of what paul does with it it's because eric carr can't play r&b and which is really weird to me because he played in r&b bands in the 70s or he's choosing not to i should probably say right right eric carr is this uh alan schwartzberg Uh, is he still on the on this record too yep (laughs) the mvp of the 80s (laughs) god damn man they were just like shitting all over did they even want eric like the more we dive through this the more i feel so bad for eric like because again he just always was the kind-hearted like i'm just happy to be here dude (laughs) so it's just like in every turn they're like well we got john okay i mean i still got to go on tour right but i mean i mean think about this could you hear the original kiss doing this I mean, think about this really hard. Can you hear? You've got to listen through it. Think about how Peter would have played it, how Ace would have played it. You know, it would have. When I say R and B, maybe on Dynasty. When I say R and B, it's like it almost goes towards like the Stones kind of a swagger, or Stones R and B kind of swagger. Now this. You know, it's a little more over the top than, say, even Mr. Speed or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I still but, picture Flashdance, you, you know, know, montage right, over but this, I, too. I, I, you really, if I, I, I listened through this and I went, you know, there's, there's a lot here. And I think 
that it's bludgeoned out because they're still trying to be a quote unquote hard rock band or heavy rock band, you know? I got it. If it was on Dynasty and had the vibe of uh, Sure Know Something. Yeah, if you come out of yeah. that that thread, Give it a Sure Know Something to Who Wants to Be no- Lonely, that could have worked in that era. But even as it stands, I still am kind of surprised this didn't have greater traction than it did. I'm surprised this wasn't a bigger hit song. I think it's this is not my favorite on the song. record. It's, it's not my favorite, but it's one of my favorites on the record now. It used to be, I used to hate this song, but listening to it with fresh ears and with a fresh approach, you know, as much as I I say the other ones were stupid and I liked the anyway you slice it and I called it stupid a minute ago but it is stupid and isn't as stupid as King of, King of the Mountain but probably, this seems like a developed song this had an yeah. idea they knew where they were going with it they knew what they wanted to do with it it wasn't just let's finish the song and get it done and I'm just surprised it didn't have a greater resonance but what are you I feel do? the opposite about the next song. Trial by Fire? Yeah. Okay, go for it. Uh, for me, it's just boring. It's not offensive, mm-hmm. but it lacks substance. And I honestly thought with a little more work, it could have been better. Because the main riff isn't bad. I think all these songs, that's my complaint with all of this stuff. Well, it's like the riff isn't bad. And the and the tempo isn't even bad. It's nice to have a slower song in the middle of all these super fast ones. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even mad about it being a slower tempo. It's just the riff they chose... There could have added a little bit. Okay, since we were talking about put it in the lens of seventy of a seventies era, if they had given it a little bit more of like those uh, signature kind of open broken Paul chords, like the dan dan and kind of accented it a little bit more between just the kind of thing, mm-hmm. I think it could have been a little bit more, and it wouldn't have been as boring. I uh, I feel the same way. I think the song's just absolutely boring, especially the chorus. Fire. Yeah. Man, why, hold up. Pause real quick. Why does Russ always get all the hate on these episodes? Cap and I are sitting over here ripping these songs apart, and Russ is sitting over here going, well, this one isn't too bad. This isn't too bad. And, but we're sitting over here trashing this. So yeah, I just want to make me, that note for the uh, commenters. <laughs> and, 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 and to, it's, and, it's a three-way tie between all of us being cranky sometimes. And, yeah. and to that point, this might be my favorite song on the album. Really? <laughs> hot take. <laughs> that is a hot take. And I think it's ironic that this is Bruce's song. Yeah. Yeah. Because Bruce wrote this, and he's got quite a few. Honestly, on I'm his like album. this, and I and I and again, I'm doing this again. This is this is going to be my great failing. I'm comparing this to the OG band. Oh boy. <laughs> and I think this would have really suited the OG band. Well, that's why I'll say it. If they give it a little bit more that of that '70s guitar riff, yeah, it, it's there. I think it sounds closer to classic Kiss than anything else on this album. Uh, we'll get there. Okay. Oh, we'll get there. Okay. Russ is giving All me a right. look right now. No, I'm just, I'm like, I just, I, I, you know, I was surprised to learn that this was a Bruce riff. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I like that it's, 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 a, it's a, it's kind of a, a very sparse, simple, kind of simplistic riff. But mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, that's their wheelhouse. It's like they were always purposefully accessible. They were never inaccessible, trying to play above, above or beyond. Well, I, I wouldn't say beyond their capabilities, but, you know, they kept it purposely anchored. But, they, you know, they've kind of flew off the handle as they go into the 80s. But anyway, my, I think it's a good song. I don't think it's a great song. It's probably my least favorite. And um, Actually, no. Well, you want to fight about least. it? Yeah. You want to fight about it? <laughs> okay, well, let's go on to the next one. I'm Alive. Oof. 
Uh, I'm alive, but this song is dead. <laughs> dead or nail. <laughs> this, this to me, if Paul ever had a filler track, it's this. The, it, he wants to complain about Gene just spitting out a song. To me, this is Paul just spitting out a song. I said Paul seems to Paul's, think his songwriting is superior in this era. Paul's spitting out a lot of songs on but this album. <laughs> only one of his songs on this whole weak-ass album is as good as Gene's material, in my opinion. So there's a, I think there's a couple and of Gene. And maybe because Gene's using leftover ideas from back in the day, I don't know. Is he just digging into his old bag of tricks, which is probably likely. But then again, well, and Paul Trial claims, by Fire was written by Bruce. If I hadn't known that, I would have assumed that it was an ancient Gene song that they just res- resurrected. But, well, and Paul even kind of makes that off off-handed claim in his book. He's like, if Gene even wrote these songs, right? And yeah. he always, and that's and that infers that you know specifically that, at this songwriting period yeah, that it was like Bruce's songs. But come on, Paul, I'm alive. You wrote that. You think that's better? Ugh. You think that's better? Not all. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't think anyone does. Because you know what? As we're sitting here talking about that, I just listened to this album, and we're sitting here talking about it. I have no memory of what this song even sounds like. The, I've got one later on. I've, I still remember this one pretty well, mainly because of Eric's very aggressive drumming throughout yeah. the entire song. That's what's so memorable about this song is this Eric's aggressive album. drumming. Yeah, the whole album is aggressive on it. But. So and so, maybe that's one of the major points I can give it is this does kind of showcase like how much of a monster Eric was behind the kid. I mean, he was a heavy, fast drummer. Oh, well, when he was augmented by Alan Schwarzer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, who knows? But when well, you even got, like live stuff, I I agree with Alex. It's not a it's not memorable for me. The part that sticks out to me is the chorus with all of the eighties Desmond Child know. vocals and everything too. But that again, that just sounds like every. Bon Jovi song too. Yeah. yeah. There, well, he. I don't think he was writing with them as of not yet. yet. <laughs> but it's all, it all soon bleeds. to come. It all yeah. bleeds. It all. You and hear the it irony all... is, of course, who recommended Desmond Child to Bon Jovi? It was Paul Stanley. It was Paul Stanley. Yep. And that had to have burned him to see him go. And, and you wonder why Paul's so bitter. Was, yeah. yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, Love's a Deadly Weapon, next track. That's the one that's forgettable for me. I actually can't remember the riff. I don't know. This one's kind of like Gene Simmons trying to be Judas Priest. Well, it's you not know, terrible. I think it's not terrible. It really isn't. This started life, actually, as I understand it, as a demo of Paul's. Yeah, because he gets a writing credit on and it, it too. It was recorded. Does Paul get the writing credit on uh-huh. this too? Okay, because um, and I think it's his title, and it was recorded between Unmasked and the Elder, and it was recorded with Ace apparently. Huh? It was recorded at Ace's studio. Oh, the Ace in, his, in the hole in the in the in the yeah his his underground bunker. Mm-hmm. I'd be very curious and to hear that. So now this is interesting to me because this is the first time I've ever even heard this referenced that apparently they recorded like four or five songs in this little period in his, in the, in the bunker mm-hmm. studio. Yeah. And before they changed lanes and went to go to the elder. Yeah. And this was apparently of that pack. Gene took it to the plasmatics and it, I guess went through some sort of baking on their end, which of course the plasmatics eventually became just simply Wendy o. Williams as a solo act with yeah. members of the plasmatics as her band. And that appeared on the commander of chaos album. So there's two versions of this song that's out there. One is kisses and one is, uh, Wendy O's version. And I forget what it's called on the Wendy O. I album. couldn't tell I you. meant to write that down. I didn't, but the, it, so that's why you see Rod Swenson and West beach, Rod Swenson was the Svengali for the Plasmatics and Windio, and West Beach was 
the guitar player, one of the guitar players for the Plasmatic. So they get a co- sh- uh, co-writing credit. A lot of this. Plasmatics bleed over on this album. So, uh, but yeah, the, at the end of the song where he tries to do like the big power scream on top of Bruce's uh, uh, high wang, note there. Yeah, wang dang doodling. Uh, more like a meow, like a fucking Rob Halford scream. Well, you know, he, he started doing more of that in that era too, but he doesn't do it like the same way. I don't mind Gene doing it. Honestly. Yeah, I, I think either. it f- feels a lot more raw. Whereas Paul's feels more operatic. Right. Uh, and I like the raw way better than I like the operatic. It feels it, like Gene's just, consciously like wanting to be like the harder edged. Well, he's know. always been that. Well, I mean, I ju- well, I mean but, jumping way yeah. far ahead, a Gene scream I love is at the end of unholy when he's uh, holding out that last note and they're kind of doing the little walk down. I, there's, he does a really I, I good, believe you, I he does a cool scream yeah, at the end of that yeah, one. I've never cared for that song. And I know I'm already, I know that's why I said jumping way ahead, but yeah. though, just talking about good gene screams. I like that one. Um, but no, I really don't have anything on this song. It, it, it's, fine. it's like it's got all this trivia behind it, but you know it's really unremarkable overall as a it's song. A, yeah. um, fine thrasher for Gene, you know? Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it works for Gene. And like I said, I, I felt like as I listened to this album, I liked the Gene songs best. I was gonna say, still Me not too. my favorite Gene song yet. Okay, well we'll get there. Yeah, tears are falling. This was the single. Yeah. Fine, but you know it's a you know it's better. <laughs> no one can see you doing that. Dude. I know the that was for an audience of one. That is the best Paul Stanley stage move ever. The windshield wiper fingers. Yeah, he still does. I, I, to I, this day, I looked Russ square in the eye and I started doing the windshield wiper fingers across my eyes. <laughs> I can remember watching the premiere of this video. So, oh no! Yeah. So, so that was actually something we did. Uh, so on the network, we have another show, The Couch Potatoes, hosted mm-hmm. with uh, Chris Morrison. And uh, we were telling Chris, "Is like, yeah, when Russ comes over a little later to record, so we're going through the Asylum era." And he he doesn't know a lot about Kiss, so I was showing him the videos, and I showed him the Tears Are Falling video, and he was like, "Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! See, I, is- I don't think it's a great ki- a good great Kiss song, but it's a." great 80s pop song it's it's not offensive it's not terrible um it's not great it's not it's terribly great (laughs) it's not greatly terrible here's a little bit of a little something something uh for uh that keyboard over there uh that uh that's in the that's in the apartment i first got it and i uh, started learning how to record on it i figured out how to play like a synth version of tears are falling because that (laughs) melody is so easy (laughs) Well, yeah. you know, he wrote a lot of these songs on keyboard. Well, that makes sense then. So, uh, and yeah. honestly, something I can really give the song, not necessarily my favorite. I really don't have anything positive or negative to say, but this is one of the few solos you can sing. I wrote that yep. this is Bruce's best moment on the album. Yep. Uh, so I find that interesting that all three of us too. were like, this is one of the few solos you can kind of yeah. hum along yeah. and this sing This is back. actually a, a good solo. Well, because for, it's for, more it melody. Ser- it serves the song. Yeah. It's not off blitz speed, flash notation. Well, because there was a lot of kind of soul in it. There was like a lot of bends and like, mm-hmm, yeah, 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 yeah. I can remember, though, watching this video. And, you know, as it starts, it starts kind of high concept. It's got the girl ripping the curtains down. And Paul's over in the corner and he's wearing street clothes. Yeah. And I thought, man 
finally they figured it out they you know you can't be kissed you've got to be the opposite you've got to be the street level kiss <laughs> and then, and then half a second later <laughs> and then boom <laughs> we, we're not in kansas anymore nope <laughs> now and uh, i don't feel like we really need to go down like the recording process of the videos and stuff so maybe we'll talk about the videos as we hit the songs so as well as watching this one with chris as I was telling them, I was like, now clearly they're trying to go high concept. They're trying to go artsy with this video. It's, it's shot a certain way. They're sitting just like, let's throw Kiss in a post-apocalyptic world and have them sing Lick It Up. You know, they, they're trying to do something here. And there's so many innuendos. <laughs> like, it's not even subtle. Like, like the volcano exploding yeah, in the background. Right, and, yeah. like, and like the, the single tear song? that lands on the breast and stuff yeah. like that. It's like, okay, yeah, what's that a drop of? But, and, like the, and the drop running down the leg and then it shows on the guitar. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, we know what this implies. But this is the part that confused me. Why does the teardrop have enough power to break a teacup? That's the part I don't get. Because There's she's a so shot of the sad. Because, so, so I get all the other innuendos. The, the weight of the heartbreak is so much, but man. but no, the don't tears are the, the tears, tears are, are so heavy no, because it's gonna break. The, man. the tears aren't tears, Russ. But Look at the visual I representation that, in I mean, the video. I, that's what makes no sense because if you you know I fuck I don't fucking know it fucking sucks. Okay, There's a <laughs> if you want me to say it in so many words if. I fucking sucks you got four guys that look like fucking like i don't you know they look like goddamn drag queens which yeah. is not an insult to drag queens it's an insult to <laughs> it's an insult to drag queens that kiss aren't as cool as the fucking drag queens no. <laughs> I see what you, you know mean. what i mean yeah it's like, it's like making, they tried but it, it failed like the drag queens make kiss look bad kiss make drag queens look bad <laughs> in particular gene simmons in particular gene simmons so they don't even look cool no they don't look cool like drag queens would look cool <laughs> they look like a fucking it's just a circus show that looks fucking stupid they don't know what the fuck they're and, doing and, and, and they was, don't know how to even get there and if there's nothing that it's worse than watching a band struggle to find their relevance in a time when that, that has already passed them by and the only thing that's worse is a band that just does this trying to be cool and it's there like, you go it doesn't even fucking work <laughs> man kisser you know and it's like the thing is is like there's so much potential for them to be a great band again yeah and they just don't know what the fuck they're doing because again audibly on this record it's a lot more cohesive than the last one but visually they went so far off the rails like they started in animal eyes and, and then by the time asylum hit it was like oh no <laughs> yeah I, you know and the thing is is you know who they hired to get all this costuming done right i I had it in my head earlier. Wasn't it Van Halen's it was guy? Van yeah. Halen's yeah. guy. Yep. You know, it's like they're looking at other bands and they're going, okay, that works for them. That works for them. So this is a point where they're like actively and aggressively, unashamedly and unabashedly following. Yeah. Yep. And, and even Paul was not that, a big fan of this era. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm telling you from being there when it happened, watching this in real time and seeing that and knowing it, mm -hmm. going, man... What happened to my band? <laughs> you know? So, yeah, there's a, there's a bitterness there. But uh, anyway, you know what? what? What fitting song title that comes up next? Secretly Cruel. And they weren't being secretly about it anyway. But anyway, they are just being cruel to us. Anyway, this <laughs> is a good... This, this is, is just filler material. I don't know. Really? This is People my, criticizing our criticism. This is my favorite Gene track. 
Interesting. Go. Mine too. Okay. Well, let me just say what I'm going to say. Then I'm going to let y'all go nuts and jerk off in public. <laughs> <laughs> because to me, you know, like I said, people are criticizing our criticism or my criticism. <laughs> but fuck it, man. There's nothing interesting, exciting, or good with a song like this. This is disposable dog shit. See. Not just dog shit. Disposable dog <laughs> shit. Not even good dog, dog shit. <laughs> I mean, I, I just I don't I don't understand what what motivates anyone to go. Oh yes, secretly cool. No, it's I, like, man, they're, they're, it's just this is where I get offended being a kiss fan. <laughs> it's like this is what you're going to give me. See, this is like a, I'm, the chorus is weak as fuck. I'll give you that. But the this whole song sounds, is weak as fuck. This is the closest sounding song to a '70s Kiss song on this album, in my I opinion. Disagree completely. Well, listen, to, think about the guitar tones. I think this is the one of the few tracks that doesn't have like an obviously Kramer 80s guitar sound to it. It sounds like a Paul Stanley, you know, riff to me, a classic Paul Stanley riff. And it kind of has that bounce that you would hear on like, say, uh, on a Dr. Love or any of the 70s uh, classic Kiss songs, in my opinion. Okay. It sounds like one of those leftover Gene Simmons songs to me. I hear that more on Trial by Fire than I do this. I hear it more on this one for sure. See, actually, I'll, I'll parrot everything he said and then I'll actually take back something he said. The chorus is what grabs me. Oh, I actually like the chorus, and I like the, and I know why. It's the differentiating between the secretly cruel, and then eventually you get the uh, guys in the background doing the come out, like the cool call and response layering that they kind of did with the chorus is actually pretty interesting and unique. And Gene's vocal performance on it. It, it doesn't sound like an 80s performance. It yeah, sounds like okay. 80s Gene, but it doesn't sound like an 80s performance. I'm not even saying it's an 80s song. I'm just saying it's just a bad song in general. Well, I, I, I'm not saying it's amazing, but... I, that's, that's where you catch me, too. I'm sitting here going, like, no, no, no. I'm not saying it's great either, but like, if we're looking at it like I, I within, yeah. the, within the confines yeah. of this album right. only... You're, you're contextualized. Yes. Within the contextualization of the record. I just have a hard time contextualizing something that's just so bad. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll be you all for the next song for Radar for Love. Okay, that for is the biggest filler bullshit song on the record. You know what my favorite part of the song is, though? When you hear Paul go, fuck yeah! I, I, exactly. <laughs> this, this is the moment I turned into Russ. This is the pandering and reaching, and it's just bullshit. This, is, this was the song that I, I failed to listen to more than twice all the way through. Okay. It, it was that bad why does desmond child have to this is like already two song two kiss songs before uh love in an elevator right when did love in an elevator from aerosmith come out a year later two years later okay because it has the exact same feel uh as this and one of the gene songs from animalize one of the forgetful ones but this, yeah it's the exact same feel this is paul in full full unashamed led zeppelin worship and yeah. it doesn't work it does not work for him i think the riff is okay but i don't think it's really good for them per se that oh part is weak <sighs> i hate that i i hate that i mean I, there's potential here but you know here's what i and this is where i came back i you can't help but wonder if paul and gene had actually worked together instead of with outside partners what the results would have been yeah a song like this had a strong there's actually a strong riff here yeah it's just buried underneath all this other nonsense and it, you know it's like it just became love in an elevator hadn't been recorded i know yet. but it's the you exact know. same thing well and not exactly but it, no it's it's a bad it's a bad mutation of black dog is what it mm -hmm. is 
And, uh, you know, but I just, I, I stopped and went, you know, if they had worked together instead of outside writers, what would they have sounded like? Mm-hmm. What could they have really done? I if think Paul the next just record is what we get. put his finger or foot or whatever down and said, you know, Gene, you need to write songs with me. <laughs> and Gene would have gone, I'm Gene Simmons <laughs> of Kiss. Some, sometimes. <laughs> we shall write a song together. <laughs> you never know. Have your people I mean, call out and, people. And, I, and that's the thing that that's the mispotential because they didn't write a lot together even in the 70s. There's not a lot of Simmons Stanley material out there. If you go look at your records, you'll be surprised how much of it is either Simmons or Stanley. Well, they would still cut demos very, separately too, right? Very yeah. Really, is there Simmons Stanley together? Mm-hmm. Here's a potential. It's like if they're if they're narrow if they're you know in a, they're boxing themselves into a corner, which they have done. It's like what is their greatest strength at this point? Each other, yeah, right together. If mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, but they don't have management because the, the only people they have left are each other. And Everyone they, else is changed. But instead, they're running off to other songwriting partners and they're coming in independently. Mm-hmm. And and I think that. Um, that's why, you know, and our and which is ironic. We're saying this because we're talking about there's more cohesion to this album, but I think it's because again, it's more the four people put the stuff together. But I'm Actually saying as far as songwriting, yeah. you know, I think that it would have been interesting if they had reached that point. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, all night. Should have been titled "Ugh." Oh, I, you stole it. I, I, initially, when I was writing out my notes, when it's I wrote out the title, the it, that's exactly what I put. I put "Ugh" all night. Okay, now look. So bad. I, I, I in multiple episodes, even in the past of our other show, something good for you. If Kiss gets brought up, this is usually my punching bag song. This is the one I go to that I'm like, this is like the epitome of horrible lyrics and everything else re-listening to the song again number one i still feel the same but number two take out all the lyrics forget the vocal melody there's a good song underneath the stupidity that's on top that's what i wrote here i've got my notes i said this was pretty catchy and could have probably been a better song if it weren't so self-consciously clever yeah because as it is, it's a novelty song and a bad one at that. And even well, the vocal delivery isn't even great. Not even necessarily the lyrics; those are bad. But like the yeah. doesn't like, he say? No. Isn't there a line in here where he says, "Get you turning tricks for money"? Yeah, yeah. What the <laughs> fuck are you singing about here, dude? He but wants they, to be a pimp, man. Paul try. Stanley's a pimp. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man. When you work all day and you got to go all night, it's just one thing that money can't buy. Listen, listen. I need you to go out there and make some money for me. <laughs> I want to see because these Kiss records are not selling. <laughs> I want to see that movie where uh, that version of uh, Taxi Driver where Paul Stanley is the Harvey Keitel pimp. Yeah. <laughs> and the music video for this one too because I was Chris and I watched that one also. The, again, no subtlety. There's no subtlety in any of it. Like again, with Mr. Speed, there was at least like a little bit of tongue-in-cheek kind of thing with it. This shit is like them like pointing at their crotches like rap music video type shit it's and it's just like it's it's so much it's too much yeah, it's Paul too Stanley much. think he's so cool you know writing they these all lyrics think down cool. <laughs> Paul thinks this is better material than what Gene's written yeah, yeah. And I don't and again, know, maybe man. musically, because again, there is a cool song underneath the lyrics. And if you and watch the delivery, live, and if you watch the live version, it's cooking. 
you see, know. I didn't. I didn't bother watching it. Well, actually, I've, mm, I've watched the live version. I did see a live version. I technically, I technically did too. They played this on the Kiss Cruise. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> and watching all the fucking sixty-year-old uh, biker girls <laughs> giving us some of this in the front row. Did they pull their surgically augmented breasts out? Oh, they weren't surgically all augmented, sir. Oh, some, some were like, oh, but, roll them back up, yeah, honey. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just put that away. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had that happen to me one time. We were touring in Europe with my band, and it's the only time I've ever seen a girl flash the stage yeah. at our band. And you're like, anyone that knows our band, you know, the general type that comes to see our band is like long, greasy, stringy You'd hair. You'd see some titties, just not on girls. Some long, stringy, greasy hair, some pimples. Well, I'm talking about just the average sort that comes to our yeah. show. You know, the average sort that comes to our show is like bloated overweight long greasy stringy hair uh bearded with missing teeth covered in tattoos and scars and more often than not they bring their boyfriends with them (laughs) (laughs) i remember this girl flashing the stage and my my first thought was god bless you honey and second was please god don't ever do that again I was just thinking, yeah, you'll see some titties at y'all's show, but it won't be from girls. <laughs> and sometimes the guys will have bigger ones. What's, what's the joke? It's like, oh, put them away. The milk done gone bad. <laughs> oh, well. Making you go, ugh, all night. Okay, this album was released on September 16th, 1985, or at least that's the release date given. Um, that may have been a ship date. I don't know. It was yeah, certified was, gold. What, what did you say? September 16th? That's the date I got. Yeah, that's the day I've got, too. Um, There's a point where the ship dates are different from the actual release dates because back in the day, I guess, they would ship... But Early, depending on what day the record store got them, and you know, the, the, you know how that shit Just works. Put it out anyway. They're not. It came out they're in following, September, not following directive. It's September of '85. It was uh, certified gold on November 13th and peaked at number 20 the same week. But this album has never gone platinum. Which I found pretty interesting. Never, never. It has never gone platinum. Hmm. Well, got became number one in Finland. Ooh, Finland. Yeah. Number three. Well, in actually, the, no. It's Sweden. At least according to Kiss FAQ, it Kiss says Kiss FAQ went is platinum. wrong. According to the RIAA, they have never issued an award for this album. So Kiss FAQ is incorrect. Oh, throwing darts. No, I'm not throwing darts. I'm just going if unless the RIAA is incorrect, which I don't think they are. I think they have their records probably well in order. This album has never been certified platinum. Do they have a date? Uh. Let's see, no, I, on the here, Wikipedia, on. there's no uh, platinum uh, certification, yeah, just all hmm. gold. I was just going by, there's a little it's thingy directly platinum, underneath yeah, that says platinum. Can you open that and see? Yeah, I'm opening it. Because to my knowledge, it's never been certified platinum. Asylum was certified States, gold by the RAA in 85, sound scan, blah, blah, blah. And then it was certified gold in Canada later Ooh. on that year. Well, how many records do you got to get to be a gold record in Canada? 50,000. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it was I mean, a certified gold this, twice. You're right. You can go number one in America today selling 50,000. Yeah. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is bizarre. Mm-hmm. The, world we live the in. physical media just doesn't matter. So, yeah. 88,000 here, 50,000 there. Yeah. So, so how anyway. Do get, how do you get number one in uh, Finland? Wait, wait, wait. How much here? <laughs> Said, uh... So what, certified what, what, gold on RIA, uh, RIA on 11-13-85, yeah. it has sold over 88,000. No, in the sound scan era. Yeah. No, it's, it's got to sell 500,000 to go gold. Okay, got it. Yeah. 
It's Damn, it's only 50 in Canada. Damn. Yeah. All right. anyway, I just saw it was going to be closer. That's why I was reading it that way. Sorry. Cover art on this thing is pretty terrible. Yeah, okay, yeah. Let's talk about right. the cover. Dynasty uh, Part 2. Yes. Yeah. This, this allegedly was drawn from an idea from a Motels album cover. I've, I, I, the only album I, I could think of was an album that came out about six weeks prior to this. They did an album the Motels did, and I think it's called Shock. I can't remember. I might be wrong. Um, well, it looks more like something you'd find in a motel lobby. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this looks like, yeah, it looks like it'd be the carpet on the floor. Like the uh, you know, they're using the uh, the color scheme from the original band, which seems a bit of a false pretense, doesn't it? Yeah, so this is something, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because this is going to be something I want to talk about during Crazy Nights. But I find it interesting that they're already hearkening back to the makeup era yeah well they're gonna always be doing that but not a lot when they during the lick it up and animalize and primarily asylum era they don't do anything that's associated with the makeup with anything classic aside oh, from songs in the okay, set list. Yeah, I get you. And yep. this is the first little glimpse of them using the aura colors from mm-hmm. the solo albums. Right. So I found that pretty interesting that only a couple years disconnected from them not touching anything associated with that era. This is the first little moment we get. We get even more during Crazy Nights. It's 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 a bad cover. I think that back cover that they that's kind of a similar thing mm-hmm. i think that would have worked better as the front cover honestly yeah i mean it's still not great but the thing that's cool about it is um i forget the exact terminology because i looked it up but it's it's a process of repainting a photo right where you basically black and white it and right. then you take it and you just kind of fill in the colors right. with what you want and i really like that design just the color palette's not great and it's not a good photo well, I think that the cl- the whatever clothes they're wearing on that picture are better than the garish costumes they would wear out on tour. You like Paul's belly shirt? I, I mean, look, it's anything is better than the costumes that they wear on that, you know, the tour or in that video. Yeah, I mean, it looks a little more street level. I mean, it's still you know flash, but it's still uh, you know it's like the same like we talked about with look it up the clothes they're wearing on the cover of look it up seem to work for me better than the clothes they would wear on stage during that tour this is the same thing it's like they're not wearing those crazy whacked out what you go yeah i'm just showing him the back cover i'm like it's not as as you know as they just look like over the top no they just look like you know insert 80s hair metal band here well and that's the problem that they've just going to fall into that rut because at this point who cares i the question here is with material like this do you think they would have gotten signed if they were a brand new band Hmm. especially in this era yeah i don't know maybe question i don't i just don't see it i just don't see it as anything that you know i'm looking at like they're Wasp contemporaries, even at this point. Now they're contemporaries. We've talked about this in previous episodes, but like Van Halen, Van Halen's gone on to sell, you know, twelve million or whatever copies of 1984. And uh, as big as that album is, they're going to get even bigger with 5150, which yep. is insane to think about. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're going to see Bon Jovi skyrocket over the next year. Yeah. They're going to sell twelve million copies of fucking. Slippery when wet. Then you're going to see Def Leppard make a comeback, and they're going to sell 12 million copies with the Hysteria album. Mm-hmm. You know, and and people, they're Kiss fans today. Like they still sold platinum records. 
Yeah, they sold a million copies compared to 12 million of everybody else. So did Kicks. That's like, it means nothing. You know, everybody could sell a million. This was when there was a glass ceiling that had been shattered, mm-hmm. and it didn't take a lot to say, okay, you sold a million records. That wasn't really saying a whole lot. Did you sell two? Did you sell five? Did you sell? Because most of these bands were selling like 10, 12 million copies. Yeah, and Paul was even saying that in the book. He was like, you know, we were staying afloat. We had platinum records, but, but you draw in comparison, and it was still peanuts to what the mainstream artists were doing. I don't know. The reason I kind of have to sit and ponder the question of would Kiss gotten signed with this material, I don't feel like this material is necessarily any worse than the output of a lot of maybe lesser bands of the 80s that weren't of, you know, radio sensations. Right. I think the name and personnel of Kiss tainted it. You think that they were they were stymied by their own by their own past. By their own past. I, I think if this was a brand new band that wasn't Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, yeah. like like if this was Alex and Cap in the eighties right. and we wrote this material, we probably would have gotten signed. Maybe, but I don't think it would have been on par again. Still with the records that we're talking it, about, it, would, I think it, it wouldn't would've, be. I think but it we could, been probably kicks. could have. I yeah. think it would have been in the also ran exactly. You know? But but I it, think we it, still would have gotten signed and had at least a mild been, amount of success for us know, to get a cocaine addiction and have to <laughs> fucking <laughs> have that one or two fall on our uh, faces in the night. 90s, I feel like we could at least get that far with this record. Yeah, get to that sophomore slump and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually he comes back playing like solo acoustic material. Yeah. <laughs> with that guy And, and now you would be torn bars. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, which is what, what the Kiss rightly should have wound up doing anyway. But tour begins on November 29th in 1985. In Little Rock, Arkansas, the opening act is Black and Blue. With none other than Tommy Thayer on lead Tommy guitar. Tommy Thayer was the lead guitar player in Black and Blue and would, of course, come back in a very big way throughout the history of this band. Uh, there are three different stage sets used over the course of this tour. Mm-hmm. Um, the first featured the album artwork on the flooring. And I don't know that I've ever seen pics of that. I couldn't find any on my recent search, but I have seen photos of it in the past. And honestly, just looking at purely if we're going to make this album part of the stage show, Mm -hmm. it actually looked cool. Like it was kind of reminiscent of the animalized stage where they had the different patterns. That's what they brought back Mm -hmm. as the second stage. Yeah. That's the stage I saw. Yes. But, uh, but the original one, it was basically the same concept, but it had, uh, those multicolor little blob stripes on it. Right. Well, this, this, then they had the the second stage, like I said, was kind of a mildly expanded recycled animalized stage. Mm -hmm. And it had the, metal ramps on either side of the drum riser that would lead back to a kind of a riser behind the drum riser. That's where they would come up. Yep. From. And then that um, whole semicircle that Paul could run across and so having something strictly in the back. No, it wasn't a semicircle. It was the ramps. They had the ramps and then two stairwells that went up to the platform behind the drum kit. What am I thinking of the, Oh, is That's that crazy, crazy nice nights. where you had the semicircle yeah, behind the yeah. kit? Okay. Yeah. Because um, I remember watching footage of that one time where he's just like galloping across that thing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> they had the uh, four lightning bolt staircases that rose from mm-hmm. either side of the stage. And then the third that I didn't see, the third stage was a stripped down set with a backline of phantom speakers resembling, not so coincidentally, the Van Halen 1984 stage. Right. Yeah. Only it looked like they had maybe a third of that stage. <laughs> um, 
Not a lot of pro footage of this tour. But all three featured the new giant 20-foot-tall kiss sign that replaced the classic kiss sign. The infamous new kiss sign. And it changed colors and intensity, basically, at whim. That was pretty state-of-the-art shit at the time. You look at it now, and it looks kind of clunky. But back then, very impressive. This wasn't the one with the um, the off-centered S's, was it? Because there was one logo they used <laughs> for a long time, and one of the S's was all sorts of fucked up. I don't know. I, okay. I just... I, I No, this was pretty... Even okay. I, I, I always thought that the that big twenty foot kiss sign was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked cool. Um, Paul has a trapeze that allows him to swing from one side of the stage to the other, <laughs> which is a far cry from the theatrically impressive flying rig that Gene had used during the Dynasty era. Well, I mean, he he's got to do it for Tears Are Falling yeah. <laughs> because I don't know. You did know. he go? Oh. oh <laughs> you know what he, and actually you know what he did when he when he swung across that stage <laughs> what russ what did paul stanley do when, when he, he ran across you know, that stage being that he was paul stanley uh-huh. and he had his trapeze and he was going from one side to the other and he had to do a, a jungle a, a jungle, a jungle yell, a jungle of, yell? Some, of yes. some sort right you know so i'm pretty sure that the paul stanley jungle yell sounded something like this <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that. Dude, I that did was that. well worth it. I, I saw have, you pulling out your phone, and I'm like, I'm exactly gonna riff. I'm gonna fill up space as long as I need for him to get this up. I had to do that to every one of my coworkers this week at some point or the other. <laughs> you did they're, that to they're us. looking at me like, "What the fuck are you yeah, doing?" Yeah, he did it to us because we have a no time to turn group chat. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, uh, and uh, caps in a photo of uh, Paul with his burnt pizza. And I yeah. said, when Paul <laughs> took his first bite, he went. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, this this tour they um, they do make their return to uh, Madison Square Garden on December sixteenth mm-hmm. with a sold out show. Um, I mean, this, and through everything they've been through, that had to feel pretty good. That had to feel really good to be able to do that. Absolutely. On December twenty eighth, they play Charlotte, North Carolina. And is, hey. and is that the one that's on uh, YouTube? Uh, I think there's a con- I there think that is concert- a there is a soundboard bootleg of the Charlotte show. It's not complete. I think there's video with that too, like poor quality. No, but- there's a video from another show that they've dubbed the Charlotte audio on top oh, of. Oh, okay. But uh, the Charlotte show drew a respectable uh, nine thousand five hundred people. You were one of them, and I was one of them. And this was my very first concert I ever went to. Really? Yeah, I was fourteen years old. And I can remember a lot of this very, very, very clearly. Um, some of it has no relevance to anyone else that's listening to this, but just looking at the Charlotte skyline circa 1985, which is nothing at all what it is today. Charlotte is, <laughs> Look up photos, y'all. <laughs> Charlotte is one of is the 16th largest city in the United States. We're bigger than uh, a lot of cities that you would be surprised if I told you that Charlotte's bigger than. Um Including Atlanta. We're bigger than Atlanta. It We're doesn't feel it deceptively. But, but our skyline has grown exponentially over the last 35 years. At mm-hmm. the time, it was like four towers. and I. But I came from an even smaller town in Virginia. So I got here, and I can remember staring at that skyline thinking, oh, yeah. I've arrived. <laughs> I'm in a big city. Yeah, I'm man. I'm about to go into this big coliseum to see this big concert. You see know. Kiss. To see Kiss. 
and and I was stoked, dude. And um, you know, I there's things I remember, and it's funny because this bootleg exists, mm-hmm. and it's stuff that we were talking about on the way home after the show. My friend Eric, your stepfather, yeah, went with me. And my older brother, Randy, my brother, Randy, had seen Kiss in 1979, and he walked away from this supremely unimpressed. Mm. And he was like, that was the most unprofessional shit, blah, blah, blah. There's a part where Paul kept getting a guitar. I guess it was out of tune. Mm -hmm. And at some point, he makes this joke about his guitar roadie. He's saying, you know, and some people wonder why they don't get raises for Christmas. <laughs> and, and I remember my brother saying that was the most unprofessional on the way home going that was just I couldn't believe he would do that blah 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 he just he hated that show especially and of course, because I had nothing again, to gauge it against I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen because I'd never well, seen anything that, else that comment is extra biting considering the show was December 28th which yeah. meant there was probably a thing about him not getting a bonus or uh, a raise who knows maybe he did and, and he's just making a joke who knows but still that's but, kind of fucked yeah, up yeah. <laughs> to say it right on the mic for everyone you know why the guy's standing there passing his guitar yeah and he's probably using the stupid ass body glove guitarist too that probably can't stay in tune worth a damn you may be 100% right with that that's what I'm saying (laughs) no I don't know if he was playing those at that tour I I might be wrong I know um, he started using those in the 80s, though, and those are some of the ugliest guitars any band has ever used. But I can remember, I can remember, I want to say that Eric Carr fell trying to run up those stairs. Oh, no. <laughs> but apparently he was doing that all the fucking time. Ah. And Paul made the quip, like, how was your trip? <laughs> or something like God this. You know, um, this, I think, I'm pretty sure it was this tour that Eric started using the synthesized drum pads. He'd use them to a greater effect on the on crazy, crazy nights, nights. Tour. and you hear them on the record. But he too. did it on this one, and we thought that was really impressive. Uh, he had this cool flame, like wall of flame, that would blow across the front of his drum kit at the end yeah. of his drum solo. And I can remember you could feel the heat off of that. But we were pretty close to the stage. I, you know, here's another thing I can remember about the show. Again, this is unrela- unrelated to Kiss, but just being having never gone to a concert before, you yeah. know, and having heard all these horror stories about, you know, my mom was, of course, you know, everyone's on drugs and alcohol, and they, they're on PCP and angel dust, and they're gouging their own eyes out, and blah, 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 whatever, you know. And you walk into this arena, and there's a haze that hangs over the floor that's just like, you know, smoke. Yeah. You know, probably a third of it was uh, PCP or whatever, whatever, TCB, whatever the fuck. I don't do drugs, so I don't fucking know. (laughs) Weed. It was weed smoke and arena smoke and everything else. And we run down, we get as close as we can to the stage, and the very first thing I see is this girl pass out. And their dudes are like trying to hold her up, and they're all looking terrified, going, we're going to get busted. Uh, And I'm going, it's all true. (laughs) It's all true. Mom was right. (laughs) And the other thing I can remember... Is when when the lights went down, you know, and looking back over my shoulder because we, like I said, we got as close to the barricade as we could. We yeah. were still we were still pretty far back, but not Maybe like, like 10 super people far. deep. Eh, Maybe more like twenty. Okay, that's still you know, pretty close. It was though. pretty close. And I remember looking back over my shoulder and seeing all the cigarette lighters. You yeah, know, that used to be a thing. Now I guess it's all cell phones. It is. But back in the day, it was cigarette lighters. And I, I, that burned in my brain. I will never forget that as long as I live. Yeah. I hope I never do anyway. Yeah. You know that was that was so exciting, and uh, and then and then 
and then Black and Blue came out. (laughs) (laughs) And the singer from Black and Blue had broke his wrist or something. He had a cast on, and I don't remember which arm it was on. But he had written in big black letters with magic marker, and I'm sure he did it himself, the word sex, S-E-X, because he was so damn rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) And even at 14, and i tell you what else is funny, is I was wearing a T-shirt that I'd got for my eighth birthday. I could yeah. still wear it. it. It was like almost like a dress on me when I got it. <laughs> but I, by the time I was 14, I could still wear it. Yeah. So I'm still wearing a classic Kiss t-shirt right. in 1985 to this show. And watching this guy with this stupid, you know, I'm rock and roll kind of bullshit going, okay, buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that was Charlotte, 1985. And that was my first show. And you can find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's not the whole show. They did close with Won't Get Fooled Again. Uh, cover of the who yeah that they'd been doing on that tour and i can remember when they went into it me and eric kind of like shot each other a look like wow they're yeah. playing that you know <laughs> and, and it was kind of fun it was cool that they did it i mean it, you know it's not probably the world's greatest version but i don't have it to you know there's other versions that exist of it right but not that not version, that version no, but they, um they still do it uh, it was today it was you know, it was cool. Tours. It was fun. Yeah, they kind of do it as a mashup and lick it up now. Yeah. Um, January 5th. Way to ruin a song. Uh, <laughs> Chattanooga, Tennessee is canceled on the day before the show due to poor ticket sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, January 15th, Charleston, West Virginia. The band intentionally leave Bruce Kulick out on stage alone past his cue for them to return <laughs> as a joke. At the climax of a solo, you know, there's a point that cues them to come back out. Yeah. They don't come back out. <laughs> yeah. So he's just like, uh, I've done played all my fast shit, and I'm just going to have to play some more. <laughs> they're, just like, they're just like pranks, <laughs> LOL. And they're just like, let's just see how long he goes. <laughs> Whereas a couple tours earlier, they were like they were shoving Vinny off. Yeah, they were pissed that Vinny was doing that. <laughs> and now they're like, do it, motherfucker. <laughs> apparently, he eventually just throws his guitar down on the stage and walks off, which to me seems like it's probably the coolest moment that Bruce Kulick ever had <laughs> in the entire tenure that he was in Kiss. But, he showed some emotion. But, I, I, you know, it's it's a funny story. Uh, February 4th, San Francisco, a return to the Cow Palace. Who we said they, you know, we talked about them kind of playing at all these, like, community centers and whatever mm-hmm. else in San Francisco. However, the attendance is only 5,000. Yeah, yeah, better from, than what they had drawn on previous tours, but still, I mean, from, you're talking about a third of the uh, capacity if, of that place. And if we want to talk about the zeitgeist of like Fourth, people paying attention to Kiss at the time, first sentence from a local review on this show is uh, from a local review that Kiss has lasted this long qualifies as something of a minor miracle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that's, so that that's kind of even the reception of folks around the time. February 11th, they returned to the Forum in L.A. And they draw 11,000 people. I mean, it's not bad, but it's still a far cry from multiple sold-out nights in the 70s. Yeah. Um, March 5th, Green Bay, Wisconsin. A bomb threat causes the show to be stopped. Oh. And cleared in between the opening act, which by this point was Wasp, Mm -hmm. opening for Kiss. Tipper Gore was like, I'm going to kill those fucking Wasp guys. (laughs) 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 But they, they, I guess they swept the building and then everyone got to come back in and the show resumed. Um, April 11th, 
They do a second show in the New York City area at the Brendan Byrne Arena across the river with Bloister Colt opening. Hmm. So that interesting. That Just, would have been a cool show. Yeah. And even then, that was. I mean, both those bands were kind of past their thing, but I mean, gee, I'd, I'd go. I, shit, I'd love it if Kiss had Blue Oyster Cult opening for him today. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I go see that in a heartbeat. I might go see that show. Um, Probably more excited for Blue Oyster Cult, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> and on April twelfth is the final show of the tour in Pittsburgh. So that kind of wound down the asylum run, business as usual. Nothing really exciting. Nothing. You know, crazy over the top happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year 1986, we'd see several of Gene's film projects kind of come into fruition. I don't really know the timeline on some of this stuff, but I know he made an appearance on Miami Vice. He uh, he was on an episode of a horror anthology series called The Hitchhiker on HBO. Okay. And then, of course, he had a cameo role in the movie. Well, it's probably more than a cameo role. He had a small role, support role in the movie Trick or Treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was a radio DJ named Norman. Was it Norman? Yeah, Norman the Nuke Tar- Tarog. Mm-hmm. Norman Tarog was actually a real person that uh, that directed horror movies back in the... was a movie director back in the 30s and 40s, I think. And Gene adopted the name because... Of course. He's Gene Simmons. <laughs> of Kiss. From Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then he also started an unaired TV pilot, a pilot for a show called Sable. Yeah, where he was supposed to be the star. He of. was going to be the star, and I think, I think he was replaced, but the show still never went into production. But the question here is, if it had, what would have happened with Kiss? Well. From what I've been able to tell, because Gene recounts that, I think, in his book, and they were basically saying, like, you would be paying, like, for the amount that you make in Kiss. Like, the the amount of time it takes to make the show, you would need to step away from Kiss. Mm -hmm. The amount of money you make in Kiss versus how much you would be paid per episode of this show, you would almost be paying for the right to be on TV. And so I think that was the biggest reason why he just kind of stepped away from it, is the yeah. money wasn't right. I, I recall that too. That. I don't think that sounds right at all because to me that's guaranteed income. Whereas Kiss is, they're bad in debt. They're shoestringing so along. With they're like in debt, but they're still loans. cash rich. They they may be in debt, but they have cash flow. Not they may be as individuals, but not as a band. Right, but the individuals coming from the band. Uh, I, don't I mean, know. otherwise, I, how I, are they able to? And why would you even bother auditioning for a TV show? Then it, 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 none of that well, because makes he's sense. trying to scratch itch of not really. He wants to be in Kiss, but he wants to be I known he, as I also G. So. I think Simmons. he's looking for a golden parachute out of this Kiss. Well, thing yeah, to move on to something else. But he's but, also not going to completely trash Kiss just in case. It's like the stock market. You're in the red, but right, it's he's like diversifying his. Portfolio. Yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, it's like instead of, so instead of like pulling out right. and losing the money, right. let's stay in and the chance that maybe it'll skyrocket well, again. Just, but what, I still think if, if that show got picked up, would he have gone for it? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I that, don't. that is interesting. I mean, he was being a whore for the camera. So this is also the year we see like Bon Jovi skyrocket off the back of songs that were co-written by Paul's co-writer, Desmond Child. Mm-hmm. Paul's like, what can we do? We've got to do whatever they're doing. We need to do that. Yeah. But how do you do it? Well, well, 
we'll start exploring that on the next episode. <laughs> and actually, real quick, right before we wrap up, one thing we did not really touch on was um, Bruce becoming an official member of the band. But at the same time, even Bruce himself said that all the way up to like Hot in the Shade, he still felt like a temporary guitarist. Yeah, well, that's so. That's even a, by his own accounts, he was like, "I always just kind of felt like you know the fill-in hired gun well, guy." You know, so it's the, like they didn't even give him like a proper like "you're in the band" moment. Like he was still for years right. kind of under that pretense of like when, this could be my last show. When Eric joined the band, they gave him a Porsche so he'd feel more like a rock star. Yeah. When when when, when Bruce joined the band, they probably rented him a. Aries K. <laughs> yeah, so, so I kind of felt bad for Bruce kind of thinking about that one some. I was like, you know, Eric got welcomed in big, you know, Vinny was kind of, he was trying to be shown, you know, the nice life, but then by the no, time Bruce they is in. They put Vinny, remember they put Vinny in like some like dumpy motel. Supposedly. Yeah. I think Bruce kind of, you know, with experience of like playing in and out of bands up to, to Kiss, yeah. he probably, you know, was more aware. I think he saw it as a temporary role. Um, who knows? You know, and then the the nickname was Spruce Kulik. Yeah. Because yeah. He, he had no stage presence. I love how they would rip <laughs> on him for that, like yeah. to his well, face. And, and again, they left him out there that one night to just see know, what do you do? Yeah, <laughs> the lions. But, you know, and, and from all the interviews and stuff that I've seen with that guy, he seems like he's really cool and down to earth. I don't mean to shit on him. You know, he's in an unenviable position because he's been put into this really just by happenstance. And now he's got to make the best of a bad situation. So I I, I really do have kind of a, a, a sympathy for him, even though I'm not a fan of what he brought to the band because... But that's not necessarily you, you his can, fault. Yeah, I mean, you, you I, could I'm not, not be a fan, a fan of, what, of the output, but still feel I'm, bad for the scenario. I'm not yeah. a fan of what Paul, Paul and Gene are bringing to the band. <laughs> at this point. So that's not that's not shitting on him. It's just you know, that's the era that they're in. But, right. You know, again, we've talked about this. This band wouldn't be existing right now if they weren't so in so much financial trouble. You know, I think at this point, had they won that lawsuit and then been able to walk away with money in their in the in, you know in the black yeah i think they probably would have split we would still see paul stanley doing pretty much these this songs. exact yeah. same but it would stuff. just be called the paul stanley He'd band just be writing yeah. songs producing so you know and and so i don't know that the story would be very much different even if if you wanted to look at this entire era as a paul stanley solo project that just happened to feature gene simmons on bass yeah you know i think it would be just as valid but uh, we're going to see that to a probably a greater degree as we go into the... Now we're going to go into the late 80s. Yeah. They're going to take an inordinate amount of downtime between this album and the next album. A full two years between two album releases, which I think is the longest that the band has ever gone between... To this point. B- between releases. So um, we'll talk all about that on the next episode of no time to turn when things get crazy crazy <laughs> crazy crazy nice <laughs> and we hope you all join us then for alex and for cap i'm russ until next time we'll see you on no time to turn. thank you for listening please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash something good network 